This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Today on Finding Center, the theme is why we need a Savior. In the first half, Elder Kyle S. McKay shares his BYU devotional address, There Must Needs Be a Christ. Then in the second half, we will hear from Jeffrey N. Bunker with his talk entitled Of Starfish and Destinies. My prayer is that spirit that has attended and guided my preparations might now magnify this important message to your hearts. Near the end of his ministry, Nephi declared with some urgency, I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. He then spoke or wrote of faith, repentance, baptism, the gift of the Holy Ghost, and enduring to the end principles and ordinances he identified as the doctrine of Christ. As I have thought about and prayed for you in preparation for this assignment, I have been filled with a similar sense of urgency. Today, I feel that I must speak concerning the doctrine of Christ. In doing so, however, I speak of a doctrine even more foundational than the principles and ordinances identified by Nephi as the doctrine of Christ. I speak of the core belief and simple doctrine that there must needs be a Christ. That is what I mean today when I use the phrase doctrine of Christ. Naturally, if there must needs be a Christ, then his identity is just as important as his existence. In the scriptures, we read how this doctrine of Christ has been disputed, debated, and defended throughout the ages. I find it interesting that the people among whom Jesus came during his mortal ministry did not reject the doctrine of Christ. They believed in a Messiah and Deliverer. They were not anti-Christ. They were anti-Jesus. By contrast, the antagonists in this land during Book of Mormon times were not necessarily against the person of Jesus. They seldom got to his identity. Instead, they rejected the very idea of a Christ. They did not recognize the need for a Messiah or Redeemer. They were anti-Christ. The sophisticated secularists of our day seem to resemble more closely those found in the Book of Mormon. Indeed, the Book of Mormon is both testament and type. As you know, many nations of the earth have begun to identify themselves as post-Christian. In this country, it seems that those who make such a claim or push such a movement are also the ones asserting that this country was not founded or established on Christian values or Judeo-Christian values. These anti-Christ or Christian crusaders are not looking beyond the mark, as did biblical Jews. Rather, they are seeking to erase the mark altogether blotting it out through rules and revisions, seeking to put down all authority and power which cometh from God, just as the Nephites did on the eve of their destruction. You may have observed, as I have, the difficulty 
in simultaneously arguing that this nation was not founded on Christian values and, after 250 years, this nation is now post-Christian. Arguments against the doctrine of Christ often lack logic, but they are almost always flattering and enticing. In December of 2017, Elder D. Todd Christofferson delivered a Christmas message on this campus. I commend it to you, particularly those portions that were reprinted in the December 2020 issue of the Liahona under the title, Why We Need Jesus Christ. To his message, I add my own witness and observations as I seek to explore and answer what Amulek called, quote, the great question, which is whether there shall be a Christ. Close quote. In Frank Capra's Christmas classic, It's a Wonderful Life, George Bailey was shown what the world would have been like without him. For George, this exercise was moving and convincing, albeit a little frightening. For a few moments, it may be helpful for you and me to consider the frightening hypothetical, what if there be no Christ? I appreciate Elder Christofferson's understated response to that question. Well, he said, to start with, there is this small matter of death. Indeed, if there be no Christ, then there is no resurrection. And if there is no resurrection, death is the end. Or in other words, death has no end. Those who reject the doctrine of Christ embrace the idea of extinction, the doom of never-ending death. Now, anyone who has taken a marketing class on this campus can confirm that everlasting death is not a particularly strong selling point for any product. So the secularist antichrist pitch necessarily focuses on the immediate and is almost always some variation of eat, drink, and be merry because this is it. The good news of the gospel is that our potential is higher, deeper, and fuller than simply living the life of a beer commercial. Our life is forever, and the resurrection is real because there is a Christ. If there be no Christ, there is no healing from our sorrows, no relief from our pain, no hope for deliverance. You may reflexively be inclined to say what has been said by so many for so many years. Time heals all wounds. No, it doesn't. Time doesn't heal anything. Jesus with time and over time heals all wounds. He graciously grants interim and ultimate victories over suffering and death, even to those who do not believe in a resurrection or who fail to acknowledge His hand in their healing. Isaiah likened such people unto a staff that purports to lift up itself as if it were no wood. Remember this grand key. Faith in Christ accelerates and magnifies all healing. He took upon himself all our infirmities so that he can come to us with healing in his wings. 
If there be no Christ, there is no healing, no deliverance from suffering, no matter how much time may pass. If there be no Christ, there can be no change. There can be no choice. Think about that. The revelations teach us that Lucifer sought and still seeks to destroy the agency of man. It is tremendous irony that Lucifer and those who sided with him got what they fought for. They lost their agency. They are eternally unable to choose happiness, liberty, and eternal life. Instead, they are forever miserable, forever captive, forever dead as to things pertaining to righteousness. If there be no Christ, that is our fate as well. Jacob taught our spirits must have become subject to the devil and like unto him, forever unable to choose, forever unable to change. What a relief it is to know that there is a Christ and that through His Atonement our agency has been preserved, including our ability to choose to repent, to change permanently for the better in Him. In a related matter, if there be no Christ, no wrong could ever be undone. The wrongs we have committed and the effects thereof would remain forever. The wrongs committed against us and the effects thereof would remain forever. The unfairness and injustice of this life would perpetuate, forever unchecked, never undone. Who among you has figured out how to unsay the unkind words you have spoken? You can apologize for saying them, but you cannot undo the fact that they were said. You can return a stolen item, but you can't undo the fact that it had been stolen. Some of us have unintentionally caused injury to or even the death of another, perhaps a child. Has anyone figured out how to undo that? We have all been injured or wronged by someone else. We didn't deserve it. Some of us have lost a loved one prematurely through the negligence or recklessness of another. That is so unfair and cannot be undone by monetizing our pain in a court of law. Moreover, in the simple process of living life, we are likely to experience crippling pains and injuries, debilitating conditions, and undeserved infirmities of mind and body. All of these persist forever if there be no Christ. Elder John A. Witso taught, quote, The fall of Adam had made possible the earth experience, but another act was necessary. Someone must cancel out the effect of the fall. Only a Christ, a Messiah, and deliverer could undo the effects of the fall of Adam and Eve. Only a Christ can undo the effects of the fall of you and me. We are taught that for those who do not repent, it is as though no redemption had been made. Consider the converse. For those who do repent, truly repent, 
it is as though no sin had been committed. I, the Lord, remember them no more, not because he has some godly power to forget, but because there is simply nothing to remember. In his world, the eternal world, it is gone. Its effects are canceled. It is undone. President Boyd K. Packer taught, quote, The atonement of Jesus Christ leaves no tracks, no traces. What it fixes is fixed, and what it heals stays healed. Close quote. Through the tenderness of his mercy, we are delivered from the just consequences we would otherwise deserve because of our sins. But what about the wrongs and injustices foisted upon us that we don't deserve? What about those? In this, his justice is as tender as his mercy, and it joins in perfect union and cooperation with mercy for our good and gladness. With the prophet Jacob, I invite you to prepare your souls for that glorious day when justice shall be administered unto the righteous. In that day, every wrong shall be righted. Every unfairness shall be undone, perhaps as though it had never happened. But remember, if there be no Christ, there is no tender mercy, no tender justice, only cold, calculated, inflexible justice for our sins and the cold, random injustice of a fallen world, if there be no Christ. You may want to consider on your own other things or conditions that would or would not be if there be no Christ. Think creation of the world, for example. But for now, let us move beyond this hypothetical, returning to the joyous reality that there is and must needs be a Christ, and that Jesus is that Christ. To shore up your belief that there must needs be a Christ and to bind your souls to Jesus, who is the Christ, I invite you to read again King Benjamin's final address and the surrounding events as recorded in Mosiah chapters 1 through 6. Observe how he teaches the doctrine of Christ by establishing with brutal candor the people's desperate need to be saved. This need arises because of their condition. They are unprofitable, less than the dust of the earth, natural enemies to God, and their conduct. They have sins, including improper thoughts, words, and deeds. Having thus established that there must needs be a Christ, King Benjamin then introduces them to Jesus, who is the Christ. Quote, And lo, he shall suffer temptations and pains of body, hunger, thirst, and fatigue, even more than man can suffer, except it be unto death. And he shall be called Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And lo, he cometh, that salvation might come unto the children of men, even through faith on his name. Read those chapters. They are a dissertation on the doctrine of Christ. 
As you read them with an open mind and a soft heart, the Spirit will help you to remember that our potential is beyond our present capacity. We cannot attain it on our own, and we cannot attain it in our current condition. We need help. We need a helper. We need Jesus, who is our helper. This need for help, and especially the acknowledgement of a need for help, is the beginning of an understanding of the doctrine of Christ and the beginning of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. If faith is the first principle of the gospel, then humility may be the chief attribute of the faithful. Only the humble recognize their frail and fallen state, their need for help, their need for a Savior. Humility is a forerunner and magnifier of faith. I encourage you to live continually humble. As you seek to increase your understanding of the doctrine of Christ and your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, I remind you of two things Alma taught about this process. First, recall that he compared the Word to a seed and invited us to give place that this seed may be planted in your heart. Faith is not the seed. The Word is the seed. Faith is what nourishes the word or the seed. So what is the word we are invited to plant in our hearts? It is the doctrine of Christ. Alma tells us, quote, If ye could be healed by merely casting about your eyes that ye might be healed, would ye not behold quickly? Then cast about your eyes and begin to believe in the Son of God, that he will come to redeem his people, and that he shall suffer and die to atone for their sins, and that he shall rise again from the dead, which shall bring to pass the resurrection. And now, my brethren and sisters, I desire that ye shall plant this word in your hearts, and as it beginneth to swell, even so nourish it by your faith." The second thing we need to remember is something Alma said as he established the parameters of this experiment upon the Word. He invited us to exercise a particle of faith, yea, even if ye can no more than desire to believe. The way this is written, and especially the way it is often read, it can seem as though a desire to believe is not the preferred starting point, but some sort of fallback position. Like, if that's the best you can do, well, then start there, I guess. Please hear and understand. A desire to believe is absolutely critical. Ultimately, it marks the difference between those who come to know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent and those who ignore the evidence, spin the facts, reject the truth, and trample under their feet the Holy One of Israel because they hearken not to the voice of His counsels, whether it be His own voice or the voice of His servants.
you will never believe what you do not want to believe. Please protect and guard your precious, sometimes fragile, desire to believe. A few years ago, my friend's two-year-old daughter climbed into their small wading pool, lost her balance, and silently drowned. I do not need to tell you. I cannot tell you. It is impossible to tell you the grief and shock and anguish that that family went through at the death of that little girl. If there be no Christ, they never recover from it. That little girl stays dead. There is no resurrection, no hope for a reunion. But there is a Christ, and that little girl lives on. There will be a resurrection and a reunion. The sweet little girl continues to be an influence upon her family, and not merely through memories. Christ is kind, and He will deliver. Not long ago, I sat in a ceiling room in the Draper Temple, witnessing the ceiling of a beautiful young couple. I marveled because I was somewhat familiar with the dark past of the groom. I don't know everything he had been involved in, but I knew that he had been involved in, well, pretty much everything. He had fallen deep and far. If there be no Christ, that young man doesn't change. That young man can't change. But there in the ceiling room, there he was, changed. I searched his face, even squinting my eyes, trying to detect some residue of his dark past. But there was none. Only light and joy and love and hope. Why? Because there is a Christ, and His Atonement leaves no tracks, no traces. No matter how far or deep you have fallen, Jesus has descended deeper and farther. During His descent, He became acquainted with your grief, and He was bruised by your iniquities. He did it so that He could rise above it all and bring you back home where you belong. Nor is it His aim to simply save us by the skin of our teeth. No, His promise is sure. I am able to make you holy without spot. In a stirring exchange recorded in the book of Matthew, Peter had the opportunity to bear his witness, his testimony of Jesus, to Jesus, an opportunity each of us will likely have one day. In response to Jesus' inquiry, Whom say ye that I am? Peter testified, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus responded, saying, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. Let's pause and consider that. 
Think of all the things Peter saw or experienced with Jesus in the flesh. He saw the sick healed and the lepers cleansed. In the flesh, Peter saw the lame walk, the dumb talk, the deaf hear, the blind see, the dead brought back to life. He helped Jesus feed multitudes, and he walked on water with Jesus. All of these and so much more Peter saw or experienced in the flesh. But Jesus said to him, in essence, Peter, that's not how you know. That's not why you know I am the Christ. You know I am the Christ because of the spirit of revelation, the Holy Ghost confirming to your mind and to your heart that I am the Christ, the Son of the living God. By the same power and by the same process, I bear the same witness as that chief apostle in the primitive Church. I testify that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Over a lifetime, I have come to view and understand my own pitiful, fallen state. I have experienced sin and sorrow, suffering and infirmities of mind and body. I have experienced unfairness and injustice at the hands of others and through the harshness of life. All of these and so much more have given me a sure knowledge that there must needs be a Christ. I have also searched the scriptures, pondered and prayed, wrestled in the Spirit, and basked in the Spirit. I have earnestly, sometimes desperately, sought for relief, forgiveness, solace, and testimony. And in Jesus I have found them. All of these and so much more have given me a sure knowledge that Jesus is the Christ. With all my heart, I invite you to seek this Jesus. He is so accessible. I bear witness that he is alive right now. Jesus is saving and helping and healing and forgiving right now. He is quick to forgive and slow to anger. He is mighty to save, and to that end, He is mighty to change you and me. I testify that the answer to the great question is, there must needs be a Christ, and Jesus is the Christ. Let us come unto Him in humility and faith, so that we will be prepared when He comes unto us in power and great glory, is my prayer in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Our theme today is Why We Need a Savior. We've just heard from Elder Kyle S. McKay, after the break, we'll return with Jeffrey N. Bunker, four of Starfish and Destinies. 
This is Finding Center, a daily hour of spiritual focus. Our theme today is why we need a Savior. Next is Jeffrey N. Bunker, Associate Executive Director of BYU Student Academic and Advisement Services, when this address was given, entitled Of Starfish and Destinies. According to a very fun website I found, it was 36 years, one month, and 10 days ago that as a freshman student at BYU, I sat where one of you is sitting today, and I listened carefully as President Ezra Taft Benson, then President of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles, gave a talk titled 14 Fundamentals in Following the Prophet. President Benson shared how we could more faithfully follow the living prophets and keep the, better keep the commandments of God. The Spirit was strong that day, and I was motivated by President Benson's remarks. I thought to myself, I'm going to follow his counsel and be a better follower of the prophets and more faithful in keeping the commandments of God. But I can do better than that. From this point on, I'm not even going to make any mistakes. Now, I know all of you are a lot smarter than I was as a freshman. You would see the impossibility and perhaps silliness of my well-intentioned commitment. As I was exiting the devotional, I paused to use the restroom. I was concentrating so intently on my new commitment to not make any mistakes that I didn't notice the cute little stick figure wearing a triangular dress on the restroom door. (laughs) You are ahead of me here. It wasn't until I turned the corner that I realized where I stood. There standing in front of a large mirror was a young woman brushing her long black hair. I hadn't even made it out of this very building before I failed at my new commitment. Now, as an aside, I am still grateful to this day to that young woman for not calling for security. (laughs) Can you imagine the look on the security officer's faces as I tried to explain that I was concentrating so hard on never making another mistake when I walked in and made a mistake? In my mind's eye, I can see and hear the security officers as they look at each other and say, Yeah, right, book him, Dano. But today, I hopefully come to you a little wiser to share some counsel on something that I have worked on and am still working on ever since that day. There is a phrase thought to originate from Proverbs 23, verse 7, that goes like this. We sow a thought and reap an act. We sow an act and reap a habit. We sow a habit and reap a character. We sow a character and reap a destiny. As members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, our destiny is to live eternally with our Savior in the presence of Heavenly Father. Because of very real covenants that we make at baptism and in the temple, our destiny also includes living eternally with a spouse, children, and extended families. Truly, families can be forever. The scriptures teach us that the Lord Himself says His work and His glory is to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of men. As members of Christ's restored Church, we should try to understand the actuality of eternal life and the reality of our personal destiny. 
Our destiny, as grandiose and incomprehensible as it is to fully understand, begins with the tiniest of individual thoughts. These little things that we call thoughts accompany us almost throughout every moment of every day of our entire life. They can be small, but immensely and intensely powerful. They will ultimately determine our character and our destiny. Thoughts must be consciously and carefully monitored and directed so the acts, habits, and character that surely follow them are consistent with the commandments of God and lead to the destiny that is inherently ours. Now, you may have heard of the starfish story. It's been adapted numerous times and by numerous people from Lauren Eisen's essay entitled The Star Thrower. Based on these numerous adaptations, the story goes something like this. There was an old man walking along the seashore, and in the distance he saw a young person doing something near the water's edge. As the old man approached, he saw it was a boy surrounded by numerous starfish that had washed ashore and were lying in the sand. The old man watched, intrigued, as the boy would pick up starfish after starfish and throw them as far as he could over the breaking surge. After some time, the old man approached the boy and said, Son, do you realize that there are thousands of starfish on this shore? Certainly what you are doing can make no real difference. After respectfully listening, the boy reached down and picked up another starfish and hurled it into the ocean. Then, looking thoughtfully at the old man, the boy said, It made a difference to that one, and he continued to throw more starfish back into the water. Now, all of us can benefit from the excellent principle in this story. Doing something good against what seems insurmountable odds does make a difference. But today, I'd like for us to create a different kind of starfish story. This story has a very special purpose with an eternal application. You, in this story, you are the young man or woman at the ocean's edge. The shore represents your mind and ultimately your life, which is comprised of thoughts, acts, habits, and a character. The starfish in this story represent unwanted or inappropriate thoughts that sometimes come as you try to transition from a carnal, sensual, and devilish nature to a state where you possess the same character as your Savior Jesus Christ. Now, it is possible that some starfish in your new story aren't necessarily good or bad thoughts. They can be time wasters that keep us from thinking or doing something productive or purposeful. For some of you, the starfish may represent negative thoughts about roommates, church, or family members, co-workers, or others. For some, starfish will be thoughts of revenge, resentment, or reclusiveness. Perhaps some starfish will be negative thoughts related to self-image, self-worth, or even self-destructive behaviors. Some starfish may be motivated by the pursuit of power, fame, or fortune. There may be starfish representing thoughts related to immoral behavior with someone from either the opposite or same gender.
I cannot represent all the types of unwanted or sinful thoughts, but I invite you to reflect on those that you know you struggle with as you consider your story. In all of these examples, it is possible the starfish have already been sown into acts, habits, or even the foundation of your character, but not yet into your destiny. Now, you are standing on the shore of your life. The waves bring what you allow into your life. With each incoming wave, there is the possibility that a new or a reoccurring starfish washes ashore. Typically, your desire is to have a clean ocean front. It's beautiful when it's clean. And when it's clean, you feel comfortable inviting others there. It's where you want your friends and your family to be. It feels good, and typically you want it to remain that way. But there may be times when you actually find yourself inviting certain starfish onto your shore. There may be some starfish that are secretly your favorites. Initially, they are exciting and enticing when they first arrive. But you soon realize—in fact, you may have known for a long time—that they clutter your shore and quickly decay into an ugly mess. Now, it is both our challenge as well as our opportunity in this life to throw our starfish back into the sea. We need to fling them as far over the breaking water as we can so that they will not come back again. Having pure, positive, and appropriate thoughts will affect all aspects of your life. It will affect who you marry, what kind of spouse you will be, how you will teach and raise your children. It will affect what kind of job you have and possibly how successful you are in your employment. It will affect your testimony of the gospel of Jesus Christ your faithfulness in the Church and to your callings, and your commitment to covenants you have made or will make with God. In short, having pure, positive, and appropriate thoughts will determine your life and your eternities. Perhaps you may appropriately ask, well, how do I do it? How do I replace negative or inappropriate thoughts with pure and positive ones that lead to good acts? good habits, and good character. It is especially challenging for us to control our thoughts when we live in a world of ever-increasing, in-your-face carnal confrontiveness, as termed by Elder Neil A. Maxwell. President Boyd K. Packer of the Quorum of Twelve Apostles gave some guidance on how we can accomplish this task. Quote, Probably the greatest challenge to people of any age particularly young people, and the most difficult thing you will face in mortal life is to learn to control your thoughts. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. One who can control his thoughts has conquered himself. Now, President Packer continued, This is what I would teach you. Choose from among the sacred music of the Church a favorite hymn one with words that are uplifting and music that is reverent, one that makes you feel something akin to inspiration. Now use this hymn as the place for your thoughts to go. Make it your emergency channel. Whenever you find these shady actors have slipped from the sidelines of your thinking onto the stage of your mind, put on this record, as it were. 
As the music begins and the words form in your thoughts, the unworthy ones will slip shamefully away. It will change the whole mood on the stage of your mind. Because it is uplifting and clean, the baser thoughts will disappear. For while virtue by choice will not associate with filth, evil cannot tolerate the presence of light. There are many strategies that you can use to control your thoughts. The critical thing is to consciously recognize the unwanted thought and acknowledge that it will lead to actions that lead to habits that lead to character and eventually to your destiny. Once recognized, replace the unwanted thought with something uplifting. The void created by removing an unwanted thought must be replaced by something of value. One person shared with me that she replaces inappropriate thoughts by reflecting on her temple covenants. She ponders on the words of the covenants and their sacred and eternal meaning. She reflects on the security these covenants personally bring to her and to her marriage and to her young children. She also ponders on the promised and eternal blessings associated with each covenant. A returned missionary once shared that he tries to imagine the sublime glory of the Savior. This has helped him replace undesirable thoughts with virtuous ones that elevate his mind to a holier place. He tries to imagine what it was like for Joseph Smith when he saw God the Father and His Son, Jesus Christ, in their glory. He imagines what it would feel like to gaze into the Savior's eyes and to feel of His approving love. A young woman once shared when she recognized an unwanted thought had crept onto the stage of her mind that immediate prayer provided her with a, a safe refuge. She found as she focused on sincerely speaking to her Heavenly Father, the unwanted thoughts seemed to melt away and she felt peace as the Holy Spirit prompted her in her prayer. All of these methods can help us control our thoughts. A personal reminder that I have created for myself is what I call the five R's. The first R is to recognize when a thought is inappropriate, unworthy, or unwanted. The second R is to remove the thought as quickly as it is recognized. The third R is to replace the thought with something pure, positive, or productive. And the fourth R is to repent immediately when necessary. And the fifth R is to repeat the process as often as required for as long as required. The blessings associated with keeping your shoreline clean and unencumbered of starfish are many. The Doctrine and Covenants promise if you have charity towards all and if you let virtue garnish your thoughts unceasingly, then shall thy confidence wax strong in the presence of God, and the doctrine of the priesthood shall distill upon thy soul as the dews from heaven. The Holy Ghost shall be thy constant companion and thy scepter, an unchanging scepter of righteousness and truth. And thy dominion shall be an everlasting dominion, and without compulsory means it shall flow unto thee forever and ever. Another way to construct these scriptural blessings is that you can approach the Lord in prayer, asking for whatever righteous need you have, and expect with faith and confidence the Lord will hear and answer your prayer. It means your understanding of the mysteries of heaven can expand to where faith, becomes knowledge. 
It means the Holy Ghost will carefully lead you by constant personal revelation to truth, wisdom, and understanding. It means you will, with legitimacy, be able to lead, teach, and inspire family, friends, and others who love, respect, and seek for your influence. And you can do it forever. It ultimately sets in place your eternal destiny. And all this because you chose charity and virtuous thoughts. Addressing the priesthood session of General Conference, yet equally applicable to all the women of the Church, President Benson said, quote, A priesthood holder is virtuous. Virtuous behavior implies that he has pure thoughts and clean actions. He will not lust in his heart, for to do so is to deny the faith and to lose the spirit. He will not commit adultery nor anything like unto it. This means fornication, homosexual behavior, self-abuse, child molestation, or any other sexual perversions. Virtue is akin to holiness, an attribute of godliness." Like the boy in the original starfish story, our shores may be covered with dozens or perhaps even hundreds or thousands of starfish. We cannot remove them all alone. Fortunately, we don't have to. We can have our shores washed clean through the cleansing power of Christ's Atonement. As part of the repentance process, we must say no to the temptation. But we must also say yes to Christ's cleansing blood of Gethsemane and the cross at Calvary. Through diligent and sincere repentance and through receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit, we can have, as it were, a wave of the ocean roll onto the shores of our life and cleanse it completely not only of unwanted starfish, but of all debris. For he who has power to calm the sea also has power to cleanse its shore. For each of us, this cleansing should be a continuous process, as rhythmic to our souls as the waves to the sea. It is the Atonement of Christ that makes possible the ultimate tidal wave of complete redemption. To receive complete redemption, we must consistently yield to the quiet but clearly discernible whisperings of the Holy Spirit. Failing to follow these promptings never leads to happiness. Yielding to the promptings of the Holy Spirit provides both the path to change and the ability to change. Baptized members of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints have been given the gift of the Holy Ghost. To enjoy the benefits of this gift, we must both receive and apply unto it. As we consistently listen for and heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit, we will experience what Alma refers to as a mighty change of heart. We read in the Book of Mormon, Behold, he changed their hearts. Yea, he awakened them out of a deep sleep, and they awoke unto God. Alma continued, I ask of you, my brethren and sisters of the Church, have ye spiritually been born of God? Have ye received his image in your countenances? Have ye experienced this mighty change in your hearts? Alma further explained that to experience this mighty change in your heart, 
you must be humble and willing to trust God. As you trust God, humble yourself, listen for and heed the promptings of the Holy Spirit with exactness, you become enabled to do all things the Lord commands, including the sanctification of your thoughts. This sanctification helps you adhere to solemn covenants that you make at baptism and in the temple. And adherence to these solemn covenants, in turn, help to change your heart and transition you to a Christ-like character. President Benson said, We are to emulate this character of the Savior. And what is his character? You are familiar with this verse in Section 4 of the Doctrine and Covenants. Remember faith, virtue, knowledge, temperance, patience, brotherly kindness, godliness, charity, humility, diligence. These are the virtues we are to emulate. This is the Christ-like character. President Benson continued, Never in the history of mankind has there been a greater need for men and women to be united in their determination and actions to be Christ-like in character. To follow Him is to emulate His character. When living a sanctified, Christ-like life, you will lose the disposition to do evil. You will have clean hands and a pure heart, and the image of God will be engraven upon your countenance. Again, this begins by listening carefully and consistently to the Holy Spirit's clear and discernible promptings, and then heeding them with complete exactness. By listening to these promptings, you can recognize and replace undesirable thoughts, whether immoral, unkind, self-destructive, or simply unproductive. You can replace them with charitable thoughts, consistent with the admonition of Paul, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. I believe Paul knew that by thinking on these things, Christ-like acts, habits, and character would surely follow. Elder Bruce R. McConkie said that our goal as mortals is to gain the mind of Christ, to believe what He believes, to think what He thinks, to say what He says, to do what He does, and to be as He is. In Alma chapter 12, verse 14, we are taught that if we allow inappropriate thoughts to remain in our minds, they will condemn us. However, when we think on the things as Paul outlined, our thoughts will also justify us. Our thoughts will either lead us to godliness or they will destroy us. King Benjamin ended his address to his people in the land of Zarahemla with this warning, If you do not watch yourselves and your thoughts and your words and your deeds and observe the commandments of God, and continue in the faith even until the ends of your lives, ye must perish. And now, O oh man, remember and perish not. To summarize my remarks today, remember that your acts, 
habits. Character and destiny will flow from even the smallest of your thoughts. Through constant effort and by the grace of Christ, you may control your thoughts by removing inappropriate or unwanted ones and replacing them with thoughts that are virtuous, lovely, or of good report. To do this, you must listen carefully to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and then follow those promptings with exactness. Your heart can be changed, you can be sanctified, and you will ultimately possess the character of Christ, which is consistent for all who bear His name. I hope you leave this devotional encouraged. I know you can do it. As mentioned earlier in my remarks, I left a similar devotional address over 36 years ago with a commitment to no longer make any mistakes. I confess I have failed miserably, but in continuing to try and by applying the Lord's Atonement, I also have succeeded wonderfully. Perhaps today is your day to start to change your thoughts and your life for good and forever. Just like me, you may not exit these doors before you fell. To you I say don't worry and don't give up. All that matters is the starfish lying right at your feet. Follow the five R's. Reach down, pick it up, and throw it out, and replace it with a pure and virtuous thought. Repent immediately if you need to, then do it again and again and yet again. Just like the starfish in the original story, it will make a difference to that one. And in time you will look down the shoreline of your life and you will see it washed clean, pure, and sanctified. And in the water's reflection you will see the image of Christ in your countenance. I testify that it is real, it is doable, and most importantly, it is your destiny. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. You've been listening to Finding Center. Join us every weekday for an hour of inspiration and spiritual focus. Today's theme was Why We Need a Savior, with thoughts from Kyle S. McKay and Jeffrey N. Bunker. Find links to the full text, audio, and video of these addresses at byuradio.org slash findingcenter. Finding Center is a production of BYU Broadcasting.